Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unveiling Grace podcast. So glad you're with us today. We are jumping right into podcast number two, episode number two, with Micah Wilder, whose new book, Passport to Heaven, should be out right now by the time of this podcast. So, oh yeah, I'm Joel Grote. (laughs) And I'm Lynn Wilder. And this is, it's a little... I don't want to say awkward, but odd today, right? Because I have such personal feelings about this particular podcast. It's a little hard to be professional. Um, Micah is Michael and my third son. He's the one who found Jesus first and brought the Wilder family to read the New Testament and to come to faith in Jesus. So Micah has a book that's coming out June 2nd. It's called Passport to Heaven. Let me see. The true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. What? You don't know Jesus and Mormonism? That's probably people's first question. Welcome, Micah. I'd like you to start today by giving us some teasers from your book. Why would somebody want to read this book? Well, my my approach to this book was unique. And when I thought about, you know, I, I don't want this story to to glorify myself and I don't want it to be something about me. I want it to be about God and how he loves individuals like me who didn't deserve the love that he gave us. Mm. And, um, you know, a a lot of parallels in the book kind of follow that story of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, You know, this man who is so zealous for God, yet ignorant in that zeal and who went about actually destroying, you know, the the very church of God and uh, persecuting those who are true followers of Christ. And yet God in his uh, infinite grace and love and mercy saw fit to, to reveal himself to this this zealous Saul and to bring him to salvation and light and then commission him to go preach the very gospel that he had been persecuting. And I think that for me, um, it was an exciting opportunity to be able to tell my story in a way that it's not about me, but it's about how God loved me and how God offers that same love to, to each individual. Well, now you've said several things here that especially to LDS listeners, might sound odd. So you're saying as an LDS missionary, you were doing things counter to God or contrary to God. Um, Tell us a little bit more about what that means. Well, it's funny because that's one of the, the, the important elements at the book is my encounter with a, with a charismatic minister who essentially uh, told me that I was akin to Saul of Tarsus. And uh, I probably had the same reaction that many Latter-day Saints would have in hearing that and, and even take offense to that. Um, I was zealous for God, but my zeal was misplaced. And it's, it's very similar to what Paul wrote the Romans about the Jews when he said that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so I think for me as a Mormon missionary, I would have fit that description perfectly. I had a sincere, a passionate zeal for God, but I was ignorant as to the righteousness of God revealed in Christ. And so I was actually going about teaching people a way to God that was contrary to that which is revealed in scripture. And, uh, and that, that's something that uh, a pastor actually brought to my attention uh, to great offense. <laughs> <for me. laughs> yeah, exactly what any more missionary wants to hear, right, is have a, have a pastor tell you that you're totally on the wrong track and, and then to say, have the audacity to say, and you're leading other people astray also. Yeah. So, yeah do you want to tell us about that particular incident? <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the teachers, in, in I think. unveiling grace as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the cool things. So a lot of people know of my encounter with Pastor Alan Benson, right? The Baptist pastor that I so uh, fervently tried to convert. But actually, previous to my encounter with Pastor Benson, I uh, accidentally, or I should say God, uh, brought me to, <laughs> to stumble upon a charismatic minister um, who really planted the first seed in my life as a, as a young missionary. And, and he he, he came up to me and he told me the story of Saul of Tarsus and he, and he shared his conversion with me. And then he basically said, you right now are like Saul of Tarsus, but God is going to do a great work in your life and you will one day be like Paul. Okay. So give us, tell us who Saul of Tarsus is, because I'm not sure everybody would know how this story fits. Right. So Saul was was the zealous Jew, right, who is also known as Paul the Apostle. And uh, and he in his zeal, believing that what he was doing for God, he was going about persecuting the church. And so he was imprisoning Christians. He was even present at the stoning of Stephen. And so he had essentially established himself as an enemy of God while simultaneously believing that the things that he was doing were for God. Mm. And so Saul uh, was on his way to Damascus for the purpose of giving permission to uh, persecute Christians. Uh, it was on that journey that he was appeared to by the risen Lord himself. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responded, said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he tells him to go into the city and he will be told what to do. And Saul became blind. And I think that there is spiritual significance in Jesus blinding the eyes of Saul in that moment until he went into the city and met with Ananias and that blindness was removed. And at that point, he was commissioned to go out and to preach the gospel. And so ultimately, he became God's instrument uh, to the Gentiles to preach the gospel, the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles that salvation was in and through Christ alone, that eternal life was not reserved for God's people only, but that all people through the work of Christ could have the same inheritance that God had promised his people in the Old Testament. And so Saul became this amazing, zealous apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament and brought the gospel to billions of people, you know, over time. And Pastor Shaw, this charismatic pastor's point <laughs> was that you, as a zealous, works righteous young man, was fighting against the true gospel, thinking that you were the righteous one, and then right. making that parallel between what Mormon missionaries do and what the actual gospel is. That's quite offensive to a young Mormon missionary. 
It was, yeah. it was, but I didn't totally understand it at the time. And there's kind of this little reflection part in the book where I'm like, I think he's trying to compliment me, but it's kind of offensive. And I was trying to, you know, really interpret what he was saying, but, but I never forgot that. And, and he very, he very boldly kind of laid his hands on me and just told me straight out. He said, you were like Saul, but you will one day be like Paul. And, uh, and I, I ended up writing that down in my journal, uh, even though I basically called him a croc uh, in, in my journal entry. <laughs> Um, so is um, Pastor Shaw, do you still know where he is or what he's doing? So like, do you get, I'm going to send him a copy of your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Pastor Shaw actually still lives uh, locally here in central Florida. So he's only about 30 minutes away. We we are able to see each other at least a couple times a year, uh, and just reflect and rejoice in the love of Christ of, of, of how God used him, uh, as such an instrumental part of, of me coming to know the grace of God. Yeah. And that whole story incident, I'm not going to say anything more about it, but it was so funny just how you and your companion even ended up in his church to begin with. So, <laughs> And that's one of the things about the book was it's not just the story of a journey, which I mean, it's a great journey story, but it's so full of insight and incidents and specific things that happen. Many of them are just hilarious. Um, and so for somebody who maybe wonders, so what's it like to be an LDS missionary who made, they don't have any context from that standpoint, I think it's been an incredible insight look into, Hey, this is kind of what the missionary life is really like. Um, and for somebody who maybe has been, they're going to go, Oh my heart, you know, he lived my life. He lived my story. And so there's just, there's so much there. It's a fun read. Um, and that's kind of what I was expecting, but there was actually, there's actually more humor and more fun in a first person narrative than I realized. And so that was a very kind of surprising revelation as I've read the book. So I, anyway. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a good observation. And, and, and I'm glad that you came away with that because I, I wanted to, I, I had fun telling the story and I wanted the story itself to be fun because I wanted to paint the humanity of the Mormon missionaries. And I think that a lot of times we see these, these young men and women out on the streets or riding their bicycles and we don't see them as people, right? We were kids, right? 19 years old. <laughs> we, we did a lot of stupid things. We pulled pranks on each other. You know, we, we kind of had this persona to the public, but yet on the inside, you know, and behind closed doors, you know, we, we were very much, much kids that like to have fun. And I wanted to really do that so that people maybe would see Mormon missionaries with more compassion, and say yeah. like that, that person's just like my child, you know, they're just like my grandson or, or whatever. And they, and they have this character and this humanity about them that makes us want to love them and, and reach out to them. So the hard part for me was I had so many unique experiences on my mission was cutting it down to, you know, the, the, the most important things that I could tell in a story. <laughs> I remember when I had, I started the outline of my book. I mean, I had 50 events and I had to narrow that down, you know, to a dozen wow. and yeah. really decide like which ones not only are the most entertaining, but which ones communicate the things that I was learning at that time. And so there's some, some even humorous stories that had some spiritual lessons to them that, that were an important part of my growth. Yeah. Right, yeah, so, in fact, you lived through how many hurricanes? Yes. Yeah. I experienced years. four hurricanes as a missionary. <laughs> I, I I recount each one of those, and each one had a unique life lesson that w was part of God bringing me to to truth. I so, don't think I realized there were that many hurricanes going on in Florida at any one time. That's just. I was like, wait, another hurricane? Um, 
anyway, good stuff. So Micah eventually has another encounter with a pastor who gives him a challenge that becomes the main part of the book. Yeah, so that's kind of the the more well known experience that I had was was my encounter with Pastor Alan Benson, and um, in our engagement with each other. And uh, I, I think it's a, a fascinating story to hear in detail because most people know the abridged version, but to really know um, what happened, what we shared as missionaries, what doctrines we shared, and the way that he chose to respond to each one of those things, I, I hope is is going to be an effective way to train and to help teach and equip Christians on how to engage with uh, Mormon missionaries, but even just from a doctrinal standpoint to know, you know, what elements did he chose to emphasize and, and how did he, how did he respond to us in a back and forth? And, and, and it's really amazing because um, Pastor Benson was, was such a unique person uh, in the way that he engaged with us and in the questions that he asked and the doctrines that he taught. And, um, and I, I think it's, it, it's a, it's an aspect of my life that I'm never going to forget. And I can still remember exactly what his office looked like and how it was positioned and where we were and how I felt in that moment. And I feel like I was able to communicate that through the book of what it was like to be in that situation, to be so convicted and pierced and how frustrated and angry I was. And yet how pastor Benson still loved me through that process. And also just to know that engaging with non-believers doesn't always mean it's going to be a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's, I think, yeah. another important lesson to take away from that conversation. It's not like I walked away giving Pastor Benson a big high five and saying it was nice to meet you. I walked away uh, angry and frustrated and confused and, um, and uncertain as to why he had said the things that he said and feeling very offended by them. And so Christians tend to be afraid of those kind of conversations and just not step into them. Whereas I often tell Christians, so he reacted angrily. Sometimes that's conviction. Sometimes that means he's been thinking about it and he doesn't like (laughs) the conclusion he might be coming to. Right. But that doesn't mean you avoid the conversation. Oh, absolutely. I I think that that somebody reacting the way that I reacted is a good sign because it means that I was convicted, right? So to me, the most frustrating conversations with LDS missionaries and when you're telling them the gospel sharing scripture and they just put their thumbs up and say, I agree with everything you've said. Yeah. That, that's the, that's, that's hard because you know that you're not really getting to them. Yes. Yeah. They haven't comprehended the offense of the gospel to the Mormon version of it. And it, there is a radical difference. So, and I've, I've said the same thing to people um, when talking about witnessing or talking to somebody at your door, it's just to say, if you get a strong reaction, rejoice, because that means something got in, something got through. And if it offended them, it means it got into a level, got to a point in them and it touched something they really care about. And right. that's what we want the gospel to touch the deepest core of who a person is so jesus can begin to transform that so joel you had a question as micah began to get into as a mormon missionary he's reading the new testament now because of this challenge from pastor benson you had a question about baptism yes um and i found i just found micah's treatment of a number of different subjects because it's like he'd be in the narrative and then he'd kind of step out of the narrative and give how his perspective was changing um and what was happening and so one of those was baptism and 
um, you you just talked about, Micah, as you're like reading through your Bible, because the challenge from, from Pastor Benson was read the New Testament with the eyes of a child. J- just read it, let it speak, see what God is saying through it. And you took up that challenge. You said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to find out how much it actually does back up Mormonism. (laughs) And yet as you're reading, um, you found that there was a really big contrast in terms of how the Bible treated baptism and what it said about it and what it really represented compared with the LDS church's perspective on baptism. So I wonder if you would just you know, take a few minutes to talk about that, because I think that's, it's an important part of both faith traditions, both the historic biblical Christian faith and the LDS faith tradition. But I don't think people are often aware of just how different the view on baptism is. So would you be willing to do that? Yeah, so, sure, uh, sure. And what was amazing is, as I read the Bible, like God, I, I say this phrase in the book, like God was rewiring my brain, right? So all of these uh, elements and aspects and doctrines that had been poured into me through, you know, Mormon uh, teachers, through my parents, right, through church. Um, I, I was beginning to approach them in a totally different understanding because I wasn't approaching them through how I had been taught. I was approaching them at face value through what the Word of God taught, right? And yeah. so all of these things that were were such principal elements of my faith in Mormonism, um, I started to understand and approach them differently um, through the Word of God. And I think that that's part of that experience of reading the Bible through the eyes of a child. And it's equally as important for a Christian, right? We, because we approach God's Word with preconceived notions all the time, right? Oh, we, absolutely. We approach it yes. with, with preconceptions based on our culture or, or what denomination we're in or, or how we were raised or our social structure, these other things, rather Rather than stripping all that away and just saying, God, show me your truth, right? I'm, I'm just a child coming to my dad saying, teach me, you know, show me. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I got to things like baptism where in Mormonism, you know, baptism was such an essential part of salvation um, in that it was a necessary covenantal ordinance that had to be performed physically in order to gain entrance into the highest level of heaven, right? That's the whole reason why my girlfriend and I at 6 a.m. would go do baptisms for the dead at the Timpanogos (laughs) Temple when we were 17, 18 years old is because we believed that through that we were offering people an opportunity for salvation that they didn't have because they didn't perform this necessary work. Right. It was a necessary gateway into the fullness of salvation, exaltation within the LDS system. So, well, and the LDS church um, has all control over that. They literally can remove someone's baptism. Right. Right. So, baptism isn't just a profession of faith or a symbolic act. It's an ordinance that brings you into a covenant with the organization and institution. Uh, Reading the New Testament, I I, I walked away with a totally different understanding of what baptism was and even why Jesus himself was baptized, because that was something that as Mormon missionaries, we used to teach often was, well, Jesus was baptized. He was baptized as an example for us to be baptized because it's an essential ordinance for our entrance into eternal life. And that's what it means to fulfill all righteousness is that we are being baptized. And I remember reading that story, you know, again and again of Jesus being baptized and saying, well, it it doesn't seem like he's being baptized because he needed to be baptized. It seems like there's a story being told here uh, that there's a, a symbolism that's coming forth. And I 
started to unpack that as a young Mormon missionary. I won't go into all those details. You know, it's 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 kind of a cool section of the book. But what I will say is I walked away understanding that that water baptism, as I had always been taught, was not the way that it was taught and practiced in the New Testament. And the purpose of it was certainly vastly different than that which I came away understanding after reading the New Testament. And so the the, the physical water has no element of of contributing to our salvation. Baptism yes. is immersion into the Word of God. It's immersion into the Holy Spirit and into Christ himself. And so when we say, when Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, I personally believe that he was referring to the spiritual baptism that comes when we are transformed and born again after having received the Spirit of God uh, within us. Um, but I think that there's so much more to that. And again, I'll, I'll kind of leave that to the reader to unpack what I unpacked uh, there as a Mormon missionary. You know, I'd been a historic Christian believer, put my faith in Christ when I was seven years old in a backyard Bible club. I was baptized at 10. You know, the son of missionary parents, grew up in the mission field, have a seminary degree in New Testament theology. I'm reading this section on baptism going, whoa, this is so cool. There are elements and concepts here that even I now at nearly 60 of a whole life of Christian walk hadn't considered. So all that to say, thank you. Thank you for thinking deeply, for allowing the Holy Spirit. And just to say to people, um, again, this just isn't the story of one person's movement from one faith tradition to another. This is a story of pursuit and growth and learning and depth. And I think what you talked about of what it means to be immersed in the relationship with Jesus. And that, that's what our Christian faith is supposed to be about, this ever-deepening, maturing intimacy of relationship. And so anyway, so thanks for, uh, <laughs> for at least giving us that little bit of a teaser. There's some really great stuff um, on baptism. So thank you for all the thought. All right. So I want to jump to my last question. And again, you may just have to treat this teaser depth. But so you've got a character in your book who keeps showing up named Eric. And I'm not going to say a lot about him, just to say he's a fascinating, enigmatic character, and he's woven through your story. Um, and I realized we could probably do a whole podcast episode just on Eric. Yeah, yeah. I think enigmatic is a good word <laughs> to describe <laughs> um, I, You know, I'll, I'll say this. God's love and forbearance for us is so great that, that he uses so many things and so many people to reach us where we are. And, and that's, that's kind of the lesson that, that I walk away from with Eric and his role in my life is that God used somebody who is in a place of my life that could reach me in a way that other people could not. I had seeds planted in me through a charismatic minister, through a Baptist minister, but as a 19 year old Mormon missionary, I wasn't going to trust them. Right. I wasn't going to say, teach yeah. me. I want to learn from you. Right. Um, Eric was in a unique position to be somebody that I could trust, even though the things that he ultimately helped me see brought me away from, you know, the doctrines of Mormonism. And my sense is that's where Eric was. Eric wasn't about anything other than saying, God, use me how you want me to, where you want me to. So he yeah. was just totally available I kept getting struck over and over. It's like, okay, God, do I have that same willingness, that disposition to just yeah. be me and let you use me as me in ways that maybe only I can uniquely be used? Yeah. That's actually something that that personally 
uh, I, I learned a lot from him was was uh, uh, an individual willing to just do whatever God had asked him to do, however simple and small that was. And uh, and I think that's a lesson for all of us, right? That God God can use us in in ways that uh, can end up being profound, even though in the moment and in the time they seem simple or they seem unnecessary. And yet, and yet God uses that and, and to, to be willing to say, God, I am completely yours. You just tell me what to do. Um, I, I think that's what Eric did in his life. And it ultimately led him to a position of being able to influence me in a way that uh, ultimately changed my life. And for him to continually tell me, just go to the word of God, go to the source. And even though I trusted him, he didn't take advantage of that trust by manipulating me in a way where he was just telling me, this is what you should believe. He did the yeah. same thing that those pastors did, which was go to the word of God and you'll find your answers. Because his trust wasn't ultimately in himself at all. His trust was in the God that had the power and the word of God to do the change, yep. which is something I needed to be reminded about all the time. It's like, don't trust me. Trust the word, trust the Holy Spirit, trust Jesus to be the one who pursues and changes lives. So, yep. cool. And, well. and coming out of Mormonism, I expected God only to use people that looked like general authorities and had lots of degrees and big homes and, and that kind of stuff. And the <laughs> yeah. people that God used just in bringing me to Christ just blew me away the idea that God could use anyone and anything at any point um, and that is a miracle so the name of the book is passport to heaven the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers that Jesus he never knew please go find it go to Amazon Micah thanks again for being with us really appreciate your time and we look forward to our next podcast episode. That's all we've got time for now, but we're going to do some more because we've got some follow-up we need to do on other things related to your life and your story. Mm, yeah, thank you so much, son. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Grace and peace. Until next time. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We have an exciting announcement. Michael Wilder's new book, Passport to Heaven, is out, and for a donation of $20 or more to the podcast, we'll send it to you. It's the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the Micah's Book button to get yours. We appreciate your support of the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. <laughs>